Welcome to the podcast of Grace Community Bible Church. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged, and inspired by this message. For other sermons or more information, visit us at gracebiblechurch.org.au. Please turn to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. We'll be going through the first five verses um, using um, NASB. And just uh, before we... um, um, here, the Word of God, um, just um, a footnote, um, there will be the word Lord mentioned twice uh, in this passage in the first two verses. And I'm sure uh, many of you are aware, because um, this is such a um, theologically sound church, that when you see the word um, Lord in capital, you know what it means, don't you? It means it's actually the word Yahweh. And I do want to use the word, the name, the actual name of God, Yahweh, where I see the word Lord. Use it interchangeably. But I, from, from my church, I, I, I always love to use that word when I'm reading the Psalms. Um, so let's, let's read Psalm 103, the first five verses. Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Psalm 103 Here we come to the Mount Everest of all psalms of praises. This psalm towers over all psalms in the songs of adoration. If all the psalms put together was a forest, a spiritual forest in the world of the inspired scripture, this psalm here would be a tree loaded with juicy and delicious fruits of God's graciousness that is healthy to our souls. The sunshine of God's goodness is radiating brightest in this psalm. The blue sky of of God's loving kindness and compassion covers and hovers over the entirety of this psalm. There are certain things that we want to consider before we actually dig deep into it. That in this psalm, what we find is that there is no petition, no request or supplication, just pure worship. Pure worship. There is no mention of threat of an enemy. There is no betrayal of of a friend. Some psalms were written with the ink of suffering, with the pen of anguish as the author would pour out his heart before God. But this psalm, there is no sorrow, no sadness, no grief. Only sheer gratitude to the God of heaven. Another thing that we would have to note in this psalm is that that the psalmist is not um, praying directly to Yahweh. He's not doing that. 
You'll find that in Psalm 104, but not Psalm 103. In this psalm, he's singing praises to his soul about Yahweh. Praising Yahweh from the start till the end of this psalm. He's praising Yahweh for his benefits, his deeds, his character. And he kind of wants us to throw behind us our issues and trials in life. And he wants to launch us way above our pain. It says, though, as it were, he wants to put us into a cannon and wants us to launch us all the way to the throne of grace. So that we would meditate in nothing else but God alone. We find ourselves in the presence of the one who is worthy of all adoration. That his greatness is so expansive, loving kindness and his compassion are so deep, so vast, so much that David is calling upon his soul to bless the Lord. I do want to ask you this morning to place our feet in David's shoes and fix our eyes and lock him onto Yahweh, who is Jesus Christ. Be lost in a world of gratitude and amazement for God and what He's done for us, so that we too would bless the Lord, bless Yahweh, like David did. The outline for today, just two points. We want to look into the blessing, Yahweh's blessing, well, us blessing Yahweh. And the second point is the benefits. The benefits of Yahweh. First, we look at the blessing. And we read in verse 1, that first statement, the first phrase, Bless Yahweh, O my soul. And David here again is talking to his soul. He's stirring his innermost being and he's urging himself to magnify God. Now there are three things to consider in this phrase alone. Three things. Number one, we consider the action to bless Yahweh. What does it mean to bless Yahweh? That is to proclaim His goodness, to verbally declare His praises. It's like David is saying, let others whinge and complain about their conditions or when others are too busy focusing on their problems and wallowing in their trials. But you, my soul, you... You rise above this world of misery and bless Yahweh. To bless Yahweh is the polar opposite to blaspheming Yahweh. In other words, when others are shaking their fists or perhaps ignoring God altogether, but not you, my soul. You fix your eyes upon Yahweh. Bless Yahweh. In other words, remember His benefits. Speak of his wonders. Tell of his goodness. The second thing to consider is the object. Please note who it is who is to be blessed. Bless Yahweh. Let others bless themselves. Let them brag about their children or their vain achievements. Let them glory in their riches. Let them boast in their clothing or their hairstyles. But you, oh my soul, you, you kiss the feet of the one who saved you. 
And the third thing to consider is the subject. Please note who is doing the performing the blessing. Bless Yahweh, O my soul. So when David wants to worship God, he doesn't begin with something outside of himself, no. He goes deep within. He reaches down into his own being. He directs the command. He summons his innermost part of his being, his soul. He wants to offer God a true meaning of worship. So he begins with the most valuable, the most precious part of his being. He begins to worship God, not externally, but internally. Brothers and sisters, if we want to play the role of a hypocrite while blessing the Lord, what do we do? Let us rely on drum beats or loud music to get excited about worship. Let us first and foremost arouse our external feelings to to bless the Lord with our tongues while our souls are preoccupied and consumed by the mundane things of this world. And then we would congratulate ourselves, winning Oscar Award for the most phony worshippers, right? But not so with David. David got it right. David knows that God delights in genuine worshippers. He seeks those who worship him in spirit and in truth. So what does he do? He begins by calling upon his soul to bless Yahweh. And not only does he do that, that's just only the beginning, but then he continues further. God is worthy of all of our adoration. He's the best, he's the greatest, he's the dearest to our souls. So what does David say? He says, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. What is David doing here? David is opening up an invitation. He's ushering in all of his inner faculties to join his celebration. He's saying, oh, my thoughts, my strength, my, my will, all of my memory, my consciousness, I call upon every." fabric of my being, to chuck a party, to kill a fatty calf and to have that feast of blessing, my gracious God. Again, we look at it, he says, and all that is within me. What is within David that he's calling upon? Heart? Well, that is... Let this heart love God. Affection. And let it long to be with God. Mind. Let my mind be consumed with God. Such that there is nothing left in David that is not given to, and we'll continue on and says, to bless his holy name. What, what does it mean to bless his holy name? Well, that name in the entire psalm, the one name that is given to God is the name Yahweh. And that's not so much a descriptive name, it is his name, it is I am, I am who I am. And this 
Name is not just a word to be just pronounced or spoken. It points to his attributes. It points to his nature. That's the word name, the name of God, Yahweh. And then when we add as a prefix the word holy to it, holy name, that is as to say his sum and perfection of his attributes, holy. I've done an um, extensive study uh, with my church to what it means that God is holy. And the one best conclusion that came out of this is that the unique, unspeakable beauty of God in himself, in his character, holy name, something so adorable about God that is so unique. And what attributes of God does David have in mind when he penned down these words? Well, we examine the psalm and we find in verse 8, he attributes to God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. Verse 13, just as a father has compassion on his children, so Yahweh has compassion on those who fear him. Verse 17, but the loving kindness of Yahweh is from everlasting to everlasting. Again, his righteousness to, his children, to children's children. Verse 19, his sovereignty rules over all. And David here is blown away. He's awestruck by who God is and how God deals with him. And so he's adamant to praise Yahweh. So what does he do? He repeats the same thing again. And in verse 2, and he says, Bless Yahweh, O my soul. Bless Yahweh, O my soul. He repeats it. Why? One thing to consider, perhaps, is that that white space between verse 1 and verse 2 it's as though his soul is about to get distracted. And he's saying, don't you doze off, O my soul. Don't you know who you are to be blessing? It is the I am. The one and the true living God. The one who's in his presence is the fullness of joy. The unchangeable. The all-satisfying the sovereign, the one who is called love, truth, resurrection and life. He's everything. He alone is worthy of worship. So don't you get drowsy. Wake up. Wake up. David tells his soul, I'm not telling you. But wake up. Right? It's good. It's good to wake up as you, as you hear the word of God preached. And bless the Lord. Sing his praises to the world. Shout as loud as you can. Declare how good God is to you. That's the first point, the blessing. Now why? Why should we bless the Lord? Why? The benefits. And so David says, and forget none of his benefits. This is beautiful. Is it not? 
forget none of his benefits. Don't you dare blank out his blessings. Don't you ever forget any of his benefits. Commit them all into your memory bank. Brothers, isn't this our biggest problem? Some call it spiritual amnesia. You know what it is when we have this memory loss of God's benefits for us and they become out of sight and what becomes out of sight becomes out of mind and what is out of mind becomes out of affection. And what happens when our affections are emptied of God and His goodness and our gratitude to Him? You know what happens, right? They get filled with selfishness, desire to control people and situations, pride kicks in, all manner of troublesome wickedness. And then we end up in a bad place, right? Forget none of his benefits, David says. Now, what are the benefits that David has in mind? Well, he gives us here a list of the best of God's benefits to his people. In fact, these five benefits, they sum up the result of the atonement, what Christ has actually accomplished for us. It's, it's perhaps you could say the closest thing to the gospel uh, 1,000 years before Christ came. He describes the gospel for us. So in other words, he's instructing the soul to forget none of God's benefits, or another way of saying, preach the gospel to yourself. If you want to preach the gospel, if you want to bless the Lord and magnify His name so that your wife would be edified or so that your children would be saved, what David is basically doing here, he says, it begins here. It begins by preaching the gospel to your soul before you preach it to others. What are God's benefits? Why should we summon every fabric of our being to bless Yahweh? What, what is it that is energizing this pure and sacred worship? Let's take him one at a time, shall we? The first in the list. The first of God's benefits in verse 3, it says, Who pardons. All your iniquities. Forgiveness of sins is the first in the list. If God has an ocean of blessings that are ready to burst out and drown you in, pardoning of your iniquities is the opening of the floodgate. Iniquities. Please note, there's a... Slight difference between the word iniquity and sin in that, in that iniquities are not just sin. It carries with it the guilt that we have accrued because of sin, the shame and the grief. This is part of what we are to remember. We who were once children of the devil, children of wrath, without hope, without God. The poison of sin was in our souls and was running through our veins. And when our hands were stained with sin and we were guilty as charged, 
We were the most wanted criminals in the supreme court of heaven. The heavenly cops were after us. And he took the very blood of the Son of God. He chose to be seen for us. Isaiah 53 verse 4 says, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. This is our iniquities. Christ, to d- determined to spill his blood, faced the wrath of God for us that we rightly deserve. Why? To pardon our iniquities. Brothers, what joy should fill our hearts to, to know that today, We are accepted in the beloved. That our sins are now put away. That we stand right before a holy God as though that we've never been guilty. Now, please, let's dig deeper. Which iniquities does it say that he pardons? He pardons what? Some... Of your iniquities. Many. No. Most. No. He pardons all your iniquities. Not only those that are past. Brothers, when God forgives, He forgives us with all of His power. He cancels our debt according to the might of Jesus Christ. How many sins did Christ bear upon Himself? That is exactly how many sins God pardons us of. And it's as though that David here is saying to his soul, Oh my soul, don't you ever forget this. Engrave this into your brain. Tattoo it in your forehead. Though your iniquities were far more than can be numbered, and each one of them is an unbearable burden, and you, soul, was crushed beneath the weight of them all. Oh, how merciful. How forgiving God pardons all your iniquities. The visible and the invisible, the shameful ones and the ones you were flaunting around, all of them, the ones that were hidden and tucked away in your closet that nobody knows about, all of them, Christ gets beneath your dreadful burden and like an all-time champion, He bench presses the entirety of your sin and He sets you free. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Romans 8 verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 33 says, Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Oh, bless his holy name. The second in the list, and only gets better, who heals all your diseases. Now, just a way of, just a side note again, he says here, um, who heals all your diseases. He's not talking here about the diseases of the body. He's not directing the conversation to the body. In other words, he's not saying to the body, bless the Lord, oh, my body. He's talking to the soul. He's directing the conversation to his inner being, his inner soul. It's the diseases of the soul. One day, Lord willing, God will 
free us from, from uh, the diseases of the body, and we're looking forward to that. But here he's talking about the diseases of the soul. And he's saying, oh my soul, don't you ever forget who it is who heals all your diseases. Consider the multitudes of your diseases that your iniquities inflicted upon you. What are those diseases? It's a disease of blindness. Or how sin blinded your eyes and you were groping in that path of darkness. On one side you fall into a ditch of lust and you come up and you jump and you fall into the other side. You trample over um, falling upon a manure of pride. Or disease of taste. Oh my soul, how sin infected your, your taste buds. You were drinking your own vomit of selfishness and you were enjoying it as, as though it was fresh water. Or mental disease. Your spiritual understanding had IQ of negative 10,000. What God said was wrong. You were so convinced was right. And all your affection, oh my soul, the affections of the heart were like a leprosy, dripping with pus and it stung. But oh, the compassion of God. Or the loveliness of Christ, your great physician, who's excellent at healing all your diseases. Are you so diseased, so blind that you can't see the glory of God? Here is a set of eyes, brand new eyes, to be able to behold the beauty of Christ. Do you have a heart disease that you can't have a, even a beat, a pulse of love for God or for His people? Here's a new heart that desires nothing else but Christ alone. Are your feet so paralyzed that you can't walk the talk? Here are new feet to follow Christ, to obey Him, and to pursue Christ, and they will never grow weary. Your mouth that was so diseased that it could only curse and swear. Here's a new tongue that you could truly bless the Lord with. And there is no disease left in you that He doesn't cure and cleanses you from. Such that one day the Lord Jesus will present you blameless, spotless and without wrinkle or speck. Before him forever. Oh my soul. Don't you ever forget this. Third in the list. Who redeems your life from the pit. Verse 4. Who redeems your life from the pit. You know nothing brings joy more. Than when you. When there is a criminal. Who is sentenced to death. And as that rope of execution is wrapped around his neck and that strands of the rope are ever pressing tightly onto his skin. And as, about, as he is about to be hung, suddenly 
he would hear that he's guilt-free, that his sentence is lifted. And brothers, may we never forget this, that we were so closer to our doom than our skin to our clothes. We were hanging by a thread above the hot flames of hell, one breath away from our eternal torment. Any moment, we would have perished forever. Always lived in the terror of the Lord. And the gavel of God's judgment was about to slam and crush us for eternity. But aren't we grateful that though the justice of God was staring at you with these eyeballs of fire, that out of the law of God, this voice was thundering, saying, Cursed are you, you worker of iniquity. But what does the Bible say? In Galatians 3 and verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. It's so beautiful, isn't it? It took the life of Christ to be the ransom price to redeem us from the pit. It says, who redeems your life from the pit. How grateful should we be, brothers and sisters? Like this criminal, we suddenly hear that we're guilt-free. Our sentence is lifted. The purchased power of God's Son broke these chains that bound us to our doom and secured redemption for us. How merciful is God? How kind? Now, as if this was not enough, there is more. There's a fourth benefit. And Asamas continues and he says, Who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Wow. He moves from the negative to the positive. Not, not only does he get you out of the mess, but he gives you something beautiful. Crown. God doesn't do half job, brothers and sisters. God is perfect, and so therefore everything he does is as perfect as he is. As he is. And he will not settle until he perfects us. It's as if it's not enough to pardon to heal, to redeem. He goes all the way and he crowns us as kings. He says, who crowns you? It's, an, it's a language of auguration, befitted to the children of God. What does he do? He places a crown on our souls. And on that crown, what do we find? There are two precious diamonds, loving kindness and compassion. Now, this is not to say that because you and I have this crown upon our heads, therefore we are the kings of compassion and loving kindness. No. When God wears this king, it means that he's the source of these lovely characters. All love and compassion flow out of God. But when we wear this, it's as if God is saying, you and only you, brothers and sisters, are the object of my loving kindness and compassion. Now, what do they mean? Let's just very quickly have a look what they mean. First, loving kindness. Well, in verse 11, 
It says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. And only toward those who fear him, the elect. It means that God will always be faithful to his people. Even if they were unfaithful, he will remain faithful. He will never deny himself. Verse 17 mentions the word loving kindness again, but notice what it says here. But the loving kindness of Yahweh is from everlasting to everlasting. It was his loving kindness that motivated him to pardon and to heal and to redeem the elect no matter the price he would pay. And it is the same loving kindness that will motivate God to continue to protect them, preserve them, and glorify them from everlasting to everlasting. Second, his compassion. This word compassion is, is the seat of affections, the center of feeling. His loving kindness is constant. It's always activated, but his infinite compassion, yes, it is always there because God is unchangeable, but it's engaged when, when his children are hurt or broken. Compassion means that God moves with pity. Once he knows that you are down, he longs to meet your suffering with his tender mercy. Do you have pain? Are you grieved? Is there any kind of anguish in you? Let's read verse 13, what it says. It says, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so Yahweh has compassion on those who fear him. Oh my soul, forget not Yahweh's benefits. Save this benefit into your mental hard drive. Verse 5. Who satisfies your years with good things. God here promises to satisfy you with good stuff. Good things. What are the things that God gives us to be satisfied by? Well, let me tell you that it is not more so much so as things that is as a person. It's been personified by Jesus Christ. In John 6, verse 35, Jesus himself says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. We live in a world that is so given to all kinds of deceiving, fleeting kind of pleasures. Pleasures that have no roots, and so they would die very shortly. And many people are trying to find satisfaction in a world full of pain, a cursed world, chasing after a mirage, after another mirage. Looking for something to quench their thirst of their souls, only to come out realizing that they have 
dry tongues. And never realizing that it's only found in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Brothers, what is better satisfaction than to have this deep, intimate, uninterrupted fellowship with the person of Jesus Christ? Who satisfies your years with good things. Jesus is the all-satisfying Savior. Oh, would, would to God that we would commit this truth into our hearts, into our minds. That nothing else in this miserable world would ever satisfy our souls but Jesus Christ and Him alone. You were made by, for this, you were made by this, and you were made to this end to be satisfied by Jesus Christ. Because to be a satisfying Savior, what does it mean? It means that Jesus is a great chef. He, he prepares greatest banquet before you. And He cooks for you the greatest meal befitted only for kings. And He serves you by feeding you and feeding you. Feeding you what? Feeding you affection, some love and mercy and grace and inheritance and eternal rewards. And He continues to feed you. And when you become thirsty from the amount of this delicious food, that you're eating. What does Christ do? He stands there, right beside you with His infinite refreshing water, sprung out of His living, His living fountain, sprung out of His own heart, and He would continue to quench your thirst all the days of your life. Where with Christ, you can be imprisoned, like Paul, and there is no border. With Christ, there is no loneliness. Because Christ who is in you promised that He will always, forever, will be with you all the days of your life. And what would He be doing? Pardoning you, healing you, crowning and satisfying you. And as you continue to follow Him, Step by step, stride by stride, always be in His shadow. And as your heart begins to swell up with His goodness, you will not rest until you bless Jesus' name. And every fabric of your being, plus your soul, would offer Him the deepest and the profoundest, the most sincere kind of praise and adoration. Oh, brothers, would we please I call upon you, take this to your heart. Remember all of God's benefits and bless His name, not only on Sunday morning, not only Sunday and midweek study, but every moment of your life as you're communicating to your children and to your wife. Bless the Lord. Bless Him. Declare His goodness to the people that live among you. And if there are unbelievers here, I want to finally give you just a word to you directly, personally. You're going home dead in your sin without any purpose or goal in your life. 
and you're trying to find satisfaction in perhaps money or two cents worth of lustful desires. I'm here today to tell you that there is no greed. Not any kind of worldly pleasure will ever give you the satisfaction that your soul is created for. No. That will only cause you to be more empty. More miserable until eventually it will cast you before the throne of God's judgment. And then eternal hellfire. And I urge you this morning to consider your eternity. It is God's ordained will for you to be here this morning and for me to stand before you and to offer you Jesus Christ. Oh, how He loves to pardon those who commit iniquities. Oh, how He delights to redeem lost souls. He loves to heal all your kind of spiritual diseases, all your profanities, all your selfish Filthy desires. Oh, how He loves to heal you. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 says, Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. I urge you this morning to come to Christ. Come to Him. Cry out to God. Say to God, God, wake my soul from the sleep of death. Breathe in me this breath of life. Let me know this Christ who is the source of all goodness. Save me. Forgive me. Change me. I pray that God would convict you this morning and would draw you to himself. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Look, God, what a wonderful psalm. What a beautiful word this morning. To put in the hearts of your people this wonderful truth and a reminder, constant reminder of this truth that you forgive us that you're the one who would heal us, redeem us, crown us, and satisfy us for the rest of our lives. Oh, please God, cause us to always remember these wonderful benefits, that we would not be ungrateful servants, that we would have all these blessings and then walk away, whinging and complaining, And so we would not look any different from that world that is headed to hell. Oh, cause us to remember your goodness, Lord, so that we would respond by exalting the name of your Son, Jesus, for the rest of our lives, following him, obeying him, clinging to him, holding onto him, speaking his word to everyone around us that many lost souls 
would come to the great shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen.